0: Good morning. I have the privilege this morning of opening God's word with you and we'll be picking up where we left off last week in the Christmas story as it's recorded in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can do that. We'll also put it up on the screen and you can follow along there. So during this Advent season, we're doing a series of sermons uh, called Surprised by Joy. Uh, We want to encourage you to enter fully into the joy of the gospel. Um, The good news of good tidings, of great joy that was announced by the shepherds or by the angels to the shepherds on that first uh, Christmas. But I want to just start by asking this question as we consider the the whole topic of joy. Do you ever, are you ever sit here in a church service and look at other people that are worshiping and have had this thought cross your mind? Is it working better for them than it is for me? Maybe that Sunday morning, or maybe even this Sunday morning, um, you're just not that into worship. Um, Maybe you've had a hard week, you've got angry at your spouse or the kids or someone at work, or maybe you've kind of fallen in some way in the last week and you're just not feeling very Christian. And so it's hard to enter into worship and you ask yourself inside, is anyone else feeling this way? Or maybe as related to our topic this morning, why don't I feel the joy? The joy that gets talked about here in these services. First of all, let me set your mind at ease. There are quite a number of us, if we're honest with ourselves and vulnerable enough to talk about it, we do feel like that more than a few times in our lives. We may still have the confidence that God loves us and that we love God and that he's ultimately forgiven us, given us but we may at times feel a bit derailed in our Christian life, especially when it comes to joy. Now let me say a few things also about
1: feelings.
0: (laughs) Feelings can be fickle, and joy, if you just define it as an emotion, is not really a good measurement of our faith in any way. There's too many things that can derail our emotions. But the message of Christmas that we're talking about during these messages, and by that I mean the simple teaching of the gospel, that God came in the person of Jesus Christ to be born as a human, to become our Savior, that message has the tremendous foundation for the kind of joy that could be described as victorious confidence or an unshakable optimism about who we are, our present standing with God, and our day-to-day identity. That's the joy that Jesus brings that we're talking about in this season. So even if you are struggling to feel it as part of your moment-by-moment experience, as you allow God's truth of his word to penetrate your heart and mind, true joy can come, true lasting joy will become the very foundation of your outlook on life in a way that really does transform you. That's the goal of our preaching series as we remind you of the Christmas story during these messages and all of the elements as they are recorded, the experiences of those who welcomed Christ that very first Christmas. So today we're going to take a fresh look at the Christmas story as it has to do with Mary. And we're going to focus in on her and our reception of this good news. So let's look at the account that's found in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 26. Verse 26. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said, may your word to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. Now, there's so many wonderful things in this passage that we could focus on. But this morning, we're just going to focus on Mary's response, those last words that we just read there, and to the, the, the news of the coming deliverer and the announcement that had been made. Now, in the translation I just read, the words were, may your word to me be fulfilled. I actually like one of the older translations where it's rephrased slightly, and it says, may it be to me according to your word basically it's just a simple phrase of trust and surrender to God's will as it had been spoken to her and I want to focus on her response because in it I see a path toward receiving and living in an experience of joy that is offered in the message of this season in the message of the gospel the good news and I want to try to answer this question this morning how does the good news of the gospel become my living, joyful experience? Now, part of what I want to share with you this morning will come directly from a book that was written a while ago by a Bible teacher named Sky Jatani. The book is called With. Some of you may have read that book. Um, probably uh, a number of you have. Uh, but it goes right to the core of the message of Christmas in this way. The name that was given to Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah, and it, it's repeated in the book of Matthew, is the name Emmanuel. And we taught we use that word during the Christmas season, which translated, as it says, is God with us. Now this name, this prophecy, was stated what, what the Apostle Paul later explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, where he said that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Jesus came to enable us to have a living relationship with God. And that word with is powerful in our understanding of our relationship with God. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, religion as we understand it is often people's attempts to try to connect with God, to have some type of a connection with God. Anthropologists, those people who study human behavior and the development of, the, of humans um, hypothesized that religion came to existence something like this. As developing humans observed their world, they realized that their very existence sometimes hung in the balance over forces that they had over no control over. If the rains didn't come and the crops didn't grow, If the animals, the migration of the animals went a different way and they they weren't close to where they were, if locusts came and wiped out all of their crops, people died. If it was a cold winter and they didn't have enough clothing or didn't have enough shelter or food stored up, people died. When sickness would come and just wipe out entire communities of people, they felt helpless and hopeless. And in desperation they tried to do things that they hoped would somehow influence the power of the sun or the wind and the rain. They took valuable possessions. They burnt them and allowed the smoke to rise up to the sun or to the clouds. And it just so happened that the next day things turned around. Things got better. And so they understood that they had, a discovery had been made that somehow they can influence the sun or the, or the rains. So anthropologists theorize that That's how religion was born. People trying to participate in maintaining their own universe for their own survival. And from that, an elaborate system of superstitions and rituals were constructed to make them believe that they were more than just passive victims of chance and nature. Anthropologists go on to say that modern religion, including Islam and Judaism and Christianity, are just modern expressions of those ancient religions. And that in religions we seek to win favor of a God and seek to control our lives by combining our rituals, our morality, and doing all the right things. And we call it living according to scripture. And we expect that when we do, God will bless us. The reasons anthropologists come up with theories like that is because they look at how we actually practice religion, and they try to extrapolate backwards. They come up with a theory that modern Christianity is just a potent mix of superstition and culturally defined morality that evolved over years of practice and was influenced by societal norms. Now, we may not believe that's how our religion came into existence, but if we take a step back sometimes and just look at how we operate, how we actually practice, our religions, those theories might actually reflect how we act and how we think. Christianity practiced in this way is actually a combination of maybe what we would call two views of God. On the one hand, we may see ourselves kind of as a victim of God, God being the forces of nature, things that happen in our lives, in our community, the happenstance that threaten to destroy our happiness or our livelihood. And in this understanding of our relationship We live under God. Now I'm going to put a few uh, little things up on the thing there just to illustrate what I'm talking about, give you a picture in your mind. Life under God. There is in some ways an element of truth to this view of God in that we do believe that God ultimately is sovereign over every aspect of life. We say he controls everything in this world and we use the word sovereign to talk about that. But to be honest, at times we're not entirely comfortable with the fact that God controls everything. And so, like the anthropologists point out, we try by various means to influence God, to win his favor, in regard to various aspects of life by our good behavior and our devotion to God. And deep down somewhere, we've become convinced that if we do the right things, God is going to be pleased with us. And if he's pleased with us, He's not going to let anything bad happen to us. So ultimately, if we're honest, we may view God as an entity to be influenced or manipulated or controlled. It might also be pictured like this where by our religious actions, our, our rituals, our morality, we attempt to manipulate God into making our world a happier place for ourselves. In some ways, we may come to believe that this is the path to joy to making life good for ourselves. We may, th- we, we may think about ourselves as devout religious people, moral, living for God, but deep down we, we, we <coughs> want or maybe we even need God to do our bidding. And you know, some preaching has led us to believe that this is how it works. Because sometimes, maybe inadvertently in the way that it comes out, We end up saying something like, if we worship God, if we abstain from immorality, if we remain faithful to him, faithful to our family, give financially the church, that God will bless and keep us, keep us happy and healthy. And there's many testimonies that we can give that say that this is true. It might be also what we would call life from God. If you have a question whether or not people think this way, look no further than the reactions of Christians when some kind of major disaster strikes. For example, immediately after the carnage of 9-11, one of the prominent Christian leaders was on the news and he said these words, "'It's because of the immorality of our nation, the abortions, and turning our backs on God, that God has removed his hand of protection from America.'" Now, if what that Christian leader is saying is true, Religion isn't a path to joy. In a lot of the ways, it's a path to fear. You fear a God that's like that. And if this is the way that it really works, how on earth can the coming of a Messiah be joy to the world? Obviously, we've got something wrong regarding how we're living out this relationship with God. Instead of God with us, instead of a relationship with God, we've turned it into life under God, life from God a relationship that's kind of predicated on our own actions and involves kind of appeasing God in order to keep things right. Let's go back to our, our account of Mary for a minute. What would have been different about Mary's response if her relationship with God had been like this life under God or life from God approach? I think she may have responded something like this. Ah, yes, Gabriel, I've followed God's rules all my life. I've gone to synagogue regularly. I've honored my parents. I haven't lied or stole or cheated. I've held on to my virginity. I just knew that if I kept doing the right things, God would be good to me. All of my hard work is finally paying off in something good. When Jesus was here on earth, he actually spoke out really harshly against this type of false religion. Remember the time that the religious leaders brought him the man born blind? And they asked him this question, John chapter 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Do you see the cause and effect in that question? Jesus refuted their thinking, saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It doesn't work like that. Life with God doesn't work like that, is what Jesus was trying to say. At the other end of the spectrum, the Jewish leaders and his disciples were also astonished when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19. I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can read it there. They were astonished. Their mouths dropped open wide when Jesus said those words. How could it be possible that a person that blessed by God, that they were rich, couldn't get into heaven Of course they were right with God. God's blessing was upon them. Jesus described those religious leaders in this this way. Matthew chapter 15. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. Their whole relationship with God had gotten boiled down into what I'm doing, a barter with God. When our actions are what makes us think that, or makes us think whether we are having a good relationship with God, makes or breaks our relationship with God, it becomes all about the rules. And that's the way a lot of people live their religious lives. It all becomes about what we can do for God. And it might be pictured like this we sometimes slip into a mentality that defines our relationship with God by what we do for him. For example, we may subtly think that the people who do things like volunteer for the church in the kids program or in the nursery are better Christians than those that don't. And by that same logic, of course, a pastor who works all week long for God, man, he's got to have a really good relationship with God or maybe a missionary or somebody who's giving their lives in some type of vocation of, of helping the, those that are um, downtrodden in some way. We have come to really venerate the doers, the people who are active in Christian type things. And we may subtly believe that they're closer to God because of that. And when we do that, we replace relationship with God with a life for God. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, was a guy who knew a lot about living for God. In describing himself in Philippians chapter three, this is what he says. Philippians three, five to eight. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting for church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, in terms of doing the right things, I did it all, Paul says. I did everything. But then listen to what he says next. But whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing knowledge for the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying that religious way of life that trying to do and trying to perform as a definition of walking with God, that's a total loss. What really matters is life with God, of actually knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's get back to Mary's account again. If Mary had been living by these doing methodologies in her relationship with God how might she have responded to the angel's message that day it probably would have gone something like this yes I believe the promise of God now now let me see how can I do this for you God Joe and I we could you know back up the wedding date a bit and get you know get right on this thing of producing the Messiah King and what would have happened She would have entirely missed out on what God really wanted to do with her. Now we might think that's kind of silly or crass, but it's exactly the approach that we take to living life for God sometimes. God tells us that he's gonna give us a new heart in Christ. And we read in his word that he will transform us by his word living in and through us. And what do we do? We come up with a discipleship plan, a book with little blanks to fill in. And whenever we complete it, Somehow we've become better Christians. But we've taken what was meant to be the work of God, God with us, and instead we've made it our own, life for God. If your Christianity isn't working for you, if you have very little sense of joy when you think about Jesus, it may be that you've slipped into one of these limiting forms of religion, a form of godliness, as scripture says, that really has no power, no joy, no freedom, life for God, or maybe even a sense of life under God. God is your taskmaster. Jesus came as a joyful announcement of God with us, Emmanuel, something surprisingly out of character for the religion of his day. But perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't really treat God that way. I'm not religious. I've seen through all those religious-type things that people do. When it comes to life in this world, I understand, as most sane people do, that most, if not all, of the world around us can be understood by the laws of science. Life goes on. Things just happen. And God, well, he's, for the most part, he's not the cause. He's not the answer to them. I understand God teaches morality and kindness, and I'm all for that, but I'm not caught up in superstition or think that God responds when I'm good. But if we live with that mentality, we may also be living with a lack of joy, the experience of God with us. We might be living what we could maybe call life with a side order of God, life with God on the side. We might pray as we've just been taught in our latest uh, sermon series, give us this day our daily bread. But in our hearts, we know, we put the bread on the table, we work hard, and that's how it works in the real world. We may live by the Bible, but we treat it like a divine user's manual. You may have even heard that the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And we treat it like that. God's self-help manual. We see it as a task, basically, to fix ourselves, following God's instructions, of course. Again, Jesus had a word about this. John chapter 5, he said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life you see he was talking about a relationship with there and that the people of israel had gotten sidetracked onto just reading the scriptures and trying to do 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 it's possible to be an active christian studying the word of god living by the principles and never knowing jesus we may think we're living a life with god but really it's life with god on the side And in the end, because we don't really need God, we've taken over, and it's really life over God. We're calling the shots. We're doing the work, and we don't know the joy of a living relationship with God. Here's my main point of my message this morning. There are a lot of false connections with God, and some of them are very religious, They may even involve a lot of time in God's Word. They may involve dedicating our whole lives to doing things for Him. But none of these religious ways of connecting with God will bring the joy that's promised in the coming of the Savior at Christmas. Why? Because they're dead religion. They're not based on relationship with God. So whether it's life under God, life for God, life from God, life over God, it's not relationship with God. It's not the message of Christmas. Jesus came so that we might have life with God. God with us. Emmanuel. That's the message of Christmas. That's the key to joy. If we're at a place where we're wondering why Christianity isn't working for us, it may be that we've slipped into the trap of religion in one way or another, trying to take control, trying to make sense of this world for ourselves, trying to make it work for ourselves, trying to appease God so that he'll make our lives happy in return. Well, God isn't playing our game. He is in control. He's not gonna be manipulated by our good or bad behavior in order to enter into life with god we need mary's approach now what did mary actually say in response to the announcement that a savior was coming may it be to me according to your word here's the simple message of the gospel the good news that christmas came or that of christmas that brings us joy The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've turned to all of our own ways of trying to find joy. We've tried life over God, life under God. Maybe we've tried life for God. We've been looking for life from God. Or just we've been living life with God off to the side. Jesus came that we might have relationship, that we might have life with God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Here's the very first Christmas gift, the God's gift of life, God's gift of joy, God's gift of peace, which comes when we're reconciled. That word means reconnected with God through Jesus Christ. The only right response to the gospel, the good news is exactly what Mary said. God, may it be to me according to your word, according to what you've done, according to what you've provided. You may need to say, God, I am tired of living life for you. I realize that I take it into my own hands and make it about me. Forgive me for the ways that I lived the entire week as if you didn't exist. I want life with you. I want to live every day walking in your presence, walking with you. I just want to receive your gift. May it be to me according to your word. In a few moments, we're going to spend some time in worship. And we'll take the opportunity to have communion. Communion. And if God has spoken to you about this this morning, I want you to respond in this tangible way and then encourage you to use Mary's words as you take communion. As you take the bread, recognize the bread represents Jesus' body that was given to mankind. Yes, starting out as a baby, but it's that same body that was God's gift that brought eternal life by his death on the cross. And as you take that bread, just say in your heart back to God, May it be to me according to your word. May this broken body be everything that is needed to make me right with God. And just receive it as a gift. Then take the small cup of juice that represents the shed blood of Jesus, thanking God for forgiveness, the cleansing that we experience through the gift of salvation. And again, simply say to God in worship, May it be to me according to your word. Thank you, Lord, for making me right with God, for giving me that relationship with God, for opening that door of relationship to me every day of the rest of my life. And then as you enter this season, do so with joy, the kind of joy that comes from just receiving a gift, not trying to earn it, not ignoring the giver because the gift that Jesus came to give us that first Christmas was himself God with us God with us Emmanuel receive Christ this season into every moment of your life simply respond to him this morning saying may it be to me according to your word let's worship and receive him with joy